0: So we're starting a bit of a new series, Tyler asked me to prepare something for when, if he's going to be away or he would, he would like me to teach. And I said, well, what would you like me to do? And he said, well, do something that's a little different. And so we, we talked and we, what we decided on doing, we're going to call this, I think, Lord of the Future. And we're going to talk about how Jesus knows what is coming up for us next, right? As as people, as a society, all the things that we are concerned about, God knows about those things and he prepares us ahead of time for how to deal with them. So we're going to be talking about different topics. Today we're going to be talking about, it's called our spiritual world. We're going to be in 1 Kings 18 and talking about, I think, just some of the things that the Lord has been laying on Pastor Tyler's heart and on my heart that we can see that the church should be prepared for. We're going to talk about, we might have one about anxiety, we're going to talk about technology, we're just going to talk about some different things that are coming at the church, but how we don't have to be concerned or afraid of these things because we know the Lord and He prepares us for them. So, this first one we're going to be talking about, the spiritual world. And the reason why I wanted to start with this is, I just have had this sense over the past three, four years, I think some of you have too, you get this feeling that the world is changing don't you? Especially in the last couple years. The world is changing. Now, that's, that's an easy thing to say, right? The world is always changing, of course. But for, for most of us, you know, we've grown up in a world for the last few hundred years, since the Enlightenment, really, in the past few hundred years, Western society that we all live in has been a rational, pretty atheistic, unspiritual place. We call it secularism, right? Is This this was a thing that we were all raised to understand and to be aware of and, and in a sense to combat in the church because secularism is opposed to the Word, to the Bible, to the truth of, of God because it says that everything that you read in Scripture is either a fairy tale or just not very important and it imposes other you know things as more important. It's been this fearsome enemy that... that Let's, you know, be fair. I don't want to beat up on the church. Sometimes we beat up on the church and we shouldn't. The church has warned people ever since the Middle Ages that secularism was going to be a problem. And the church has been a hospital for people who've been hurt by this really bad period of of society and of the world. We have cared for people. We have... Explained to the culture and to society that this was not a good thing. We've explained the truth to people. We've all, you know, sat there and got on YouTube and said, well, how do I talk to somebody who doesn't believe that God exists? And we've learned about these things. But I believe that these times are, again, changing. I believe that the age of the Enlightenment, if we call it that these last few hundred years, where that's been the dominant way that most people in the world think about things, in the Western world, let's say, I believe that that's changing. I don't think we can get any more materialist or any more unspiritual than we already are. At least, it would be hard for me to imagine how that would be, right? Our society is pretty well all the way over here believing that scientific facts are all the ways that we can explain the world. But the chaos and the suffering that's kind of breaking in on our cozy little modern existence that we've made for ourselves, it's forcing many people to accept the end of that secular dream. When all of a sudden, this way of looking at the world can't provide the things that it's claimed to be able to provide for you, you start saying, well, this isn't obviously true. I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I can't find the meaning of life outside of the spiritual. So you go looking in other places. The pendulum really has only one way to swing. And this happens throughout history, right? We get all this way and then we're human beings. So we react and we go the other way. And the way that it swings is back towards spiritual things. We can't get any more materialistic. Which is for Christians, a really good thing because we're returning to the way things really are, right? We've been trapped. The enemy has trapped people in this lie that nothing spiritual exists, and we've been working with that, and it's been a struggle, and it's so discouraging because you talk to people that they are just so far from God, and they don't even seem to care about that. They, in fact, they're pretty happy being really far from God and not thinking about anything spiritual. Well, buckle up, because we're going to meet new people here pretty soon, and that's not the way they are. They're running back towards the spiritual really, really quickly. And God has prepared us to meet them there with the gospel, which we should be very, very excited about. So how are we going to do that? Let's turn to 1 Kings 18. We're going to start in verse 20. and What I want to do is we're going to spend a little time in this passage. We're going to remind ourselves of the world that we truly live in, the real spiritual world that we live in. We're going to do a little bit of world building, I guess, if we can use that term. We're going to kind of cleanse our mind a little bit. Isn't that what scripture does, right? The Bible says that it it washes our our minds and re-educates us sometimes. We go out in the world, and so much of what we interact with, all these assumptions of the Enlightenment, and I'm using a historical term, right? That's that period after the Middle Ages where everybody said, you know what? All of this stuff is a fairy tale, and let's just talk about science, reason, and, and we kind of created a God out of the human mind and human reason. And that's all these assumptions that are just in the world everywhere we go. And sometimes we have to come back to Scripture and wash those out a little bit and remind ourselves of what's really true. And that's what this passage does for us. So just to set the stage a little bit, this is Elijah, and he's confronting the prophets of Baal. Israel has been in this really difficult time where their king is leading them in, in worshiping false gods. And Elijah has been hiding out, basically, on the run from the king. And finally, he, God gives him this opportunity to have this spiritual showdown, essentially, with all these false prophets. And he takes that opportunity, he takes them up on, on this, and he kind of proposes this test for them, and that's what we're going to read about. So starting in verse 20, in First Kings 18, it says, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. and Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So Ahab has brought the people together, and this is going to be important because Elijah is the one who's kind of proposing this test, but Ahab and the prophets of Baal are participating in it, willingly. And that's going to be important in a minute for us to remember. They come together at Mount Carmel for a showdown. And if you've ever been to Israel, usually Mount Carmel is part of your your tour. It's a pretty crazy place. You stand up on top and you get this huge vista of this whole area. And What we need to take away from this is people that are spiritually open, that believe that the spiritual world, and let's use that term vaguely, right? Because let's be honest, lots of people believe in the spiritual world. Doesn't mean they know God, doesn't mean they believe in the Bible, but lots of people are at least open to, yeah, some God exists, some spiritual something, some good force in the universe, man, like it exists, right? Lots of people are open to that. Those people are going to give you blatant opportunities to glorify Jesus, Because they're very open to the possibility that these things exist, right? It can be a little harder sometimes with a hardcore materialist person for you to have real spiritual conversation because they just think it's all fake. And the Lord usually has to break through to their pride in a little bit of a different way. But like Ahab, like the prophets of Baal, these spiritual people give you these opportunities all the time. You have to take them. They're going to, tea, the Lord is going to use them to tee up for you these perfect opportunities to talk about Jesus, to put Jesus on the spot a little bit in a sense. And we need to be ready to take them because they come up all the time. Elijah sees this. Ahab and, and, and the prophets of Baal are maybe a little cocky, right? They've been in charge for a while. They've gotten to be leading the whole children of Israel in this way of, of trying to be spiritual and trying to get these things for, for you know, our country. And it's been working for them. So Elijah speaks to the people, and he tells them to stop wavering between God and Baal. Now, that's an important thing to notice. Israel hadn't gotten rid of the Lord. They hadn't quit worshiping the Lord. They'd been trying to spiritually diversify. They figured, well, let's, let's hedge our bets, right? Let's make, it's, it's, Baal seems really cool. He does some cool stuff for them. The Lord's been pretty good to us. Let's just make sure that we've kinda, we're exposed to all the possible spiritual upside here, is what they're trying to do. And that was very common for the Israelites. They did this all the time. It was really common for the people in the place of what they lived. Everybody just had a little spiritual hodgepodge. I'll have some of this. I'll have some of that. And we need to be careful after many, many years of exposure to a materialist world, right? In a, in a materialist world, nobody cares if you do whatever religious thing you want to do because it's all fake anyway. So sure, whatever. Uh, yeah, who cares, right? Oh, we live in a cosmopolitan society. So you, you do your thing. They do their thing. None of it's real. So none of it matters. And we can let this attitude creep into our hearts occasionally as well if we're not careful. This is why the phrase, my faith is very important to me, is one that I really don't like and I really struggle with. And if I ever hear it from people, I sometimes even gently push them out. I say, no, no, my faith isn't very important to me. The Lord, He is God. There's a difference, right? If your faith is very important to you, then it slots right into your little nice shelf of spiritual, you know, personal tchotchkes. Faith is very important to me. My football team is very important to me. My, my political views and my country and all these things are very important to me. But, and, and that's what the children of Israel had been doing. They had this nice little set of beliefs and, and little buffet that they had put together for themselves that made them feel good. And sometimes cool stuff happened. And we're going to talk about how these things weren't all fake. They were benefiting them. But God wasn't going to put up with that. And we shouldn't, you know, let's look at ourselves first before we look at other people. We shouldn't be willing to put up with that ourselves either. The Deuteronomy in chapter 32, starting in verse 37, this is God kind of proclaiming to his own people. It says, then he will say, God is speaking of himself, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am he. And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. And the Bible's filled with God saying things like that, right? Saying, look, bring them out. Let's see. What have you got? You've got all these other gods. You've got all these other things that you're worshiping. Let's go. Let's, let's figure out who's really able to do the things that I say that I can do for you, right? The Lord isn't afraid of being tested. God isn't afraid of being proven false. And Now, we, look, our faith is weak, right? Sometimes, I'm, you know, you're having a conversation with somebody, and sometimes the Lord will even tell you, hey, I want you to go, here's where I want you to go. And you're like, yeah, but Lord, like, what if that doesn't work out? Like, there's a, then they're going to kind of laugh, and I'm going to feel like maybe you didn't really show up for me, and then my faith will be challenged. My faith is weak, but God is never afraid of being put on the spot like that. Especially when you're not doing it, look, If you're putting God on the spot because it's like, hey, Lord, I'm going to pray and I want there to be a shiny new Camaro in the driveway by. And also, if you're praying and you're only asking for a Camaro, like, come on, do better. But uh, (laughs) I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask for there to be, you know, I I want you to do this. And you you test God. and, And, you know, like James, I think, would say, you're just testing God for your own self, right, for your own flesh. God is not excited about that. He's not glorified by that. So you shouldn't expect to receive anything. But if you're testing God, what? To glorify him before someone who doesn't know him. God is going to show up because he wants to be glorified. And that is going to glorify him. And that's exactly what Elijah is doing here. He proposes this test. He sets this whole little exercise up. And he said, how about we do this? And I'm going to make it really hard for God. We're going to see here in a minute. And let's just see what the Lord's going to do. Now that takes a lot of faith. But God isn't afraid to be proven false. Just like Elijah we live in a spiritually diverse world. Now maybe that's not always been true, especially here. I think we've felt a lot of times like we live in a world where, okay, there's a couple Christians and there's everybody else and they're all radical atheists. That's the world of the internet. That's how the internet makes us feel, right? Because loud people are loud. So you've got a couple loud Christians, praise the Lord, I'm glad that they're there, that's good. And you've got a bunch of other loud people, mostly you know, people who are more materialist. But that doesn't mean that that's the real world. And we need to be aware that in a spiritually diverse world, we have to be ready to prove by our spirit-filled lives that the one who answers by fire is God. We have to be prepared for that test because people will test you, especially if they really believe what they believe. A materialist person is not interested in these conversations with you. And you have to come at it another way, right? You have to, first of all, there's a lot of prayer that goes on. You say, Lord, will you please, you know, break through their pride? Will you show them that you're real? Because the Lord is going to have to do that. You're not going to be able to, I don't know if you've ever tried arguing with a person who, you know, doesn't really believe in anything. It's kind of complicated and you end up going around in logical circles and it's not fun and and everybody's mad at each other. And you realize, I've been attempting to do this in a fleshly way, right? You've got to let the Lord win in that situation. But with a person who's spiritual, half of the thing is already done because they're ready. It's just like Paul, right, who's talking with those the Greek people. And he's like, hey, I noticed you've got this altar to an unknown God. Can we talk about that? Right. He didn't have to argue with them about God. They were like, yeah, tell us about this unknown God that we don't know about, that we have this altar to. Just like Elijah, we need to be ready for these testing moments that people are going to open the door for. So let's see what he does. He's got this opportunity, this golden opportunity. Let's see what happens. Verse 26, it says, They took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So the prophets of Baal, they get their shot first, right? They prepare their altar and they invoke their God. Now, I want us to see, because it's really easy sometimes for us to have this really hard-hearted attitude towards people like this. It's very, we're very quick to be spiritually prideful. I know I am. So I want us to watch and see what's actually happening here. We're supposed to be pitying these people when we watch what's happening. Why? They're being laughed at and toyed with by demons. Our our first instinct, because we've grown up in this materialist culture, is to say, oh my gosh, look at these idiots. It's all fake. Like, why don't they get it? Nothing's going to happen, dude. Like, you're running around, you're cutting yourself, nothing's going to happen. But you have to understand, why were they willing to show up and have this demonstration? They they weren't showing up because they thought nothing was going to happen. They thought something was going to happen. Why did they think something was going to happen? They expected Baal to answer... Because probably Baal had answered before. These people weren't just, you know, understand, like we, we look back at ancient people and we say, oh, they're so stupid and superstitious. They're superstitious for a reason. Because they're spiritual people. Because we talked about this just last week in the book of Daniel. The Bible explains a spiritual world to us. It explains that people are deceived oftentimes by demons who don't love them and want to hurt them and are sometimes allowed to show them spiritual things. Now, they're deceptions. They're not not things that you have to be afraid of. They're not things that have any power over you. But that doesn't make them fake. And it doesn't make the people that are deceived by them stupid. It makes them lost. And these prophets had been brought up in this system where I, I firmly believe every once in a while, Baal had shown up in some silly way right it's just like the it's just like um, remember when moses shows up and there's the, mag- the magicians and prophets and chanters and what happens so- sometimes we miss they did a thing they did a wonder they made a snake happen and now now who knows how that happened right it could have been a sleight of hand thing they've got the snake you know hidden in their robe and they shake it out but i tend to believe that they were they had some form of bad power that they had been given spiritually, and they did this thing. Now the Lord immediately shows them up. Right, why? The Lord's not going to allow himself to be upstaged. But that doesn't mean that these magicians were foolish or deluded or fake. It just means that they didn't know God. It's the same thing with the prophets of Baal. And so they're shocked and disturbed by the fact that Baal doesn't show up. And that's why the passage never says, well, of course Baal didn't show up. Because there's no, no spiritual reality to what they were worshiping. It says no one answered. Because no one cared about them. The, the God they were worshiping didn't love them. And so he didn't show up. Because he was enjoying what they were doing. That's exactly what Satan wants to do. Is he wants to deceive people, trap them in a system of lies, and then laugh at them. And watch them suffer. That's his goal. So Elijah... now. Now we're shifting again a little bit because when I see this in my modern mind, the way that I would handle it because I've been brought up to, you know, these are seekers. You've got to be super nice to them. And Elijah takes a different route evangelistically. (laughs) Elijah mocks them real bad. Um, And he says some things that if I didn't know they were in the Bible, I certainly wouldn't have written them down into the Bible. But that's the way Elijah chooses to take it. Why? Because having a sense of humor is okay, guys. I just want—it's really important because a lot of this stuff sometimes to us it can feel spooky and scary and really high stakes, and we have to remember that God wins, so we don't have to be worried about these things. It's easy for us to be worried. Oh no, what's happening? Like, do you know some of the stuff we're going to talk about in a minute? It's a little concerning if it, we're not used to it, but we need to remember that the Lord is in charge. And so Elijah, who is not concerned, right? He's not sitting here wondering, "Oh, gee, I hope Baal doesn't really show up." Oh, gee, I hope the Lord doesn't get upstaged here. He knows what's going to happen. He has faith. And so he is able, and he's doing it, remember, not just to win an argument with the prophets of Baal, but he's trying to show the people what's really going on. He's looking at what's happening. He says, I need to Push this advantage until the people recognize how, how foolish and how deluded and how deceived they are. And so I'm going to expose this to the people. I don't want them to ever feel like they're going to go back to Baal again and say, ah, maybe it's worth a try. I, there's a level of almost shame in here, and that's all right. You know, it's something I would pray a lot before before I deployed it, right? I don't have prophet next to my name in my you know, job description. But, but this is what the Lord, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. This is how he chooses to handle this. He was bold in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wasn't quaking in fear because he was around their rituals and it was so creepy. He was, he knew who he was in the Lord and he was willing to take the advantage a little bit. So no one answers their prayers because Baal is literally nothing, right? And Paul says this, it's important to remember, Paul says all the time, guys, it's an idol. Isaiah, Jeremiah, the prophets were always saying, guys, it's a, it's a stone. You made it. Do you remember? You carved it. <laughs> like it's, it's literally nothing. But also, no one answers because there's a spiritual reality behind these things, and the demons that have been manipulating them are not at home when God shows up to make a public challenge. And it's just, it's just like, you know, in, in Job, right? Remember, we talked about the divine council last week. God is so in charge of all these things that there's a roll call in heaven where he says, I want everybody to show up, and I want you to go ahead and report to me on what you've been up to. And Satan has to show up. He, doesn't, he can't just hide out and say, no, no, I'm down here in hell where I'm king. That's not true. He doesn't have a kingdom. He's, he's wandering around the earth where he's been banished, and he's got to show back up whenever God says to show up and say, well, I've been doing this and that. And then he's got to ask permission to do thus and so with Job. It's the same as this. When God shows up at this moment and he says, I'm going to now display my power, all these demons who've been up to their tricks, they, they're not even allowed to say anything. Because God says, no, you're done. I would like to talk now. I'm going to show my people who's really in charge. It's important as we confront these things to remember, number one, God's absolute dominion. And you have to remember that people who don't love Jesus, every single one of them in one way or another are enslaved to a God that doesn't love them. There's no middle ground. That's That's the problem, right, with enlightenment thinking is the enlightenment teaches you that there's Spiritual and not spiritual, and it's kind of up to you, but thats it's unreal. It's not the real world. There is no middle ground. What's the my, my pastor who's with the Lord now? He used to always sing the Bob Dylan song, you got to serve somebody, right? It's true, though. You do. And, and if you're not serving Jesus, then whether you realize it or not, you are serving somebody. And that's the, the position. That the children of Israel in, they thought that they could just kind of go wherever the the wind blew them, and Elijah was trying to call them to account. In Psalm eighty-two, starting in verse one, this is that passage that talks about that divine council. God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment. Now, what does God say? And remember, in the midst of the gods, don't. Don't get weirded out. It's a little g. It's, it's a word that's used to mean spiritual beings, right? Angels and principalities and powers like we talk about in the New Testament. And they all have to show up in front of the Lord, and the Lord is going to say something to them. And what does he say? He says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Right? And God punishes them for the, the ways that they hurt people on the earth. God has given them authority. Remember we talked about in the book of Daniel. And then they've used that authority to deceive and to mislead and harm people. And God sees all that. And he steps in and says, no, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. Like he does here. So we've had this whole display. And then in verse 30, Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two sias of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. and that you have turned their hearts back. So Elijah does two things. He repairs the altar and he prepares the altar. You like that? I like that. Um, and he's insisting on proving God's supernatural power. And he does it by making it impossible for anything else to have happened, right? He's like, look, no tricks, right? I'm, I'm, the, the altar is pretty damp right now. I'm not just, you know, throwing some fire on it when you didn't see and then saying, hey, look at that, right? No, either God shows up or nothing happened. And he's going out of his way to put God really at a disadvantage now. He's like, no, pour it three times. Like, we're going to see really whether God is going to answer by fire. He's insisting on it being supernatural. And the first thing that we see, and this is spiritualizing this slightly, but I, I think it's totally fair. The altar had been broken down, it says. It's very clear about that. So he has to repair it first so that they can have this, so that they can show up that they can worship God. When physical, real, personal encounters with God and you become rare, your heart strays and you limp between two opinions. Right? It was very easy for the people to start saying, well... I mean, I don't know if you've seen over there, he had this really big harvest, and I'm pretty sure that he does the whole thing with Baal and his altar, so I don't know, maybe we should try that out. That was really easy when it had been a while since they had shown up at the altar and prepared a burnt offering and feasted in the presence of the Lord and encountered the Lord, right? Which they were supposed to do. Remember, we've spent all that time in the first part of the Bible reading over and over, and sometimes you get a little bit like, oh, man, it's just like another burnt offering, another thing. Why is there all this list of things they were supposed to do? It's so that it would be regular, so you would always have these experiences before the Lord so that you would never spend time away from the Lord where you could start thinking, I don't know, man, does the Lord even show up? If you were in at the tabernacle daily doing the sacrifices, seeing the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, you wouldn't have those, those questions in your mind. Altars are a place where we encounter God. And if we're going to minister to people, who are living in a spiritual world, right, who understand that that's the world they live in, we have to be encountering God. You can't just bring your collection of good ideas or, well, Christianity is nice because it makes you nice. That really doesn't matter to a person who knows that the spiritual world is real. Because that's, that's nice and all, but I can take it or leave it. That's not God answering by fire. But when you've encountered God, then you can go to these people and you can say, hey, last time I was in God's presence, I was answered by fire. Does that sound good to you? Do you want to, you want to check that out, right? I can. I know the person of whom I'm speaking. I haven't just read about him. I have encountered him. We. I know him personally. Like it says of Moses, we speak face to face, right? So, Elijah was willing to behave in strange and illogical ways to demonstrate the power of God, right? I. I think right before God showed up in fire, Elijah looked pretty stupid. Because he's do, the People are like, you want us to do what? It's an altar, dude. Like we light it on fire, we don't do, and he's like, no, no, do it, pour the water, right? I think right before the Lord demonstrated that he was powerful, Elijah was like, okay, Lord, like, I've done all this stuff. Please, you know, show up because otherwise this is a really kind of silly demonstration I've made. And we have to be willing to let go of our insistence on always being respectable and logical and sensical to everybody if we're going to see the Lord respond in the same way. If you've ever been used by the Lord in a miraculous way or even just a supernatural way, you know that you, you have to be willing to let go of looking super put together and normal and respectable and, and uh, Western to everybody. Because sometimes that's emotional. Or sometimes it's different than what you're expecting is going to happen. Or sometimes you're out on a limb a little bit and you're asking the Lord to show up because you're not going to be able to do it all yourself. And you have to be willing to go there if you want to see the Lord respond in this way. There's been a temptation for us a lot of times when we're speaking to people who are very materialistic that we try and match their worldview in in order to just kind of tip them over into the kingdom of God, right? Look, we're just like you. Christianity is super logical and rational and and it makes so much sense and and you, you just kind of have to be a Christian because, look, I've got all these proofs and all this stuff, right? Now, I'm not speaking against any of those things. I think apologetics is very important. I think you should know what you believe. But... Again, to spiritual people, Christianity is super normal and rational and logical and not at all emotional or supernatural at all. Um, That's not really very impressive because their religion is not those things. It is irrational and it is supernatural in some way, even though they're being deceived. And so you coming and saying, hey, why don't you be a Christian? Nothing exciting ever happens. And you can't even really ever tell if God's real because we don't really know and we don't ask him. Why would they want to follow you to that? I don't want to come to that church service. (laughs) We have encounter service tonight. That's what I want to come to. Why? Because I want to encounter God. And we have to be, first of all, we have to be doing that, right? There are times when I don't want to encounter God, and I know it, and I have to apologize to the Lord and say, no, Lord, I'm going to show up on Sunday even though I don't feel like I want to have that encounter with you. So we have to be having that encounter, but we also have to be willing to invite people to that place, which is risky for us, because we're always concerned in the back of our mind, but what if he doesn't show up this time, right, because he's a person, you can't just snap your fingers and make it happen, you're asking every time, Elijah's asking, he's the prophet, right, and, and the Lord responded this way a lot of times, Elijah was like the fire caller in a weird way, like he kept, he kept praying and God kept sending fire, remember he, there's the soldiers and God sends fire, and I don't know what it was specifically about the ministry of Elijah. Probably not a useful ministry to have right now at this moment, but it it was something that the Lord did in Elijah's life. But every time it says Elijah asked or Elijah prayed, it wasn't ever that Elijah had this power, right? It's not like he's a wizard. He's he's a prophet. He's praying. He has this relationship with the Lord. You're always reliant on the Lord. It's biblically normal to expect God to respond in a powerful and supernatural way to your prayers, Christian. You have to stop listening to people who want to tell you that that's biblically abnormal or you shouldn't be asking. And I love some of those people. Some of them are my good friends. And I'm sorry if they listen to this, but I love you. But that's wrong. It's biblically normal. And what I mean by normal is I mean it's throughout the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. Especially if you're encountering spiritual resistance to the gospel. That's especially where you see it happen. Look at uh, the book of Acts, in the book of Acts 16. Yeah, we've got time. As there, it says, as we were going to the place of prayer, Acts 16, verse 16, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Remember, spiritual people give you pretty big opportunities. I'm not sure I've ever had an evangelistic opportunity as wide open as a demon-possessed person yelling, this dude knows God. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? Walk away and be like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. It's like, come on. <laughs> the Lord's, it's like T-ball now. The Lord's like, here, do you wanna, would you like to do, have this conversation? And of course, Paul takes that opportunity, right? Um, it says, these men are servants of the Most High God. They proclaimed to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And then they got beaten and crazy stuff happened. It's, it doesn't always go super good for you. But spiritually it went well. This, this person was delivered, right? And, and notice that this is, the two things happen. This is the response that the enemy has When you go out with the gospel, you should expect this kind of resistance. And it might not always be this flashy. It might not always be this obvious. It doesn't mean it's any less spiritual. It doesn't mean you won't be having that conversation with that person. You're just to the place where, like, you've had this before. I, I know you have. I'm thinking of individual conversations. You're just to the place where it seems like the Lord's opening their heart, and they're finally talking to you about stuff. And then just suddenly you watch their whole face change. And everything shuts down, and now we're talking about something else. And you're like, what happened? We were almost there. We live in a spiritual world, guys. Those are not just like accidents. The enemy hates it when you evangelize. So, of course, he's going to do absolutely everything. The kids are going to cry. Something in our house, something that contains liquid is going to explode. That's just how it's going to happen, right? Something's going to happen. And and is everything like that that happens spiritual? No, but probably more than we think in 2020's modernist America is probably a little more spiritual than we think. So, Elijah's done all of his stuff. He's shown up. He's put himself out there. Now let's see what the Lord's going to do. Verse 38. It says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. God answered Elijah by fire. So, I want to encourage us, are we experiencing the Lord, maybe not in this way, but are we experiencing the Lord in a way that to you, in your heart, you know, I have encountered the Lord. And we know the difference, right? There's been times where we've, I've had, you can remember the place, right? I was sitting there on the front porch and this happened. I, I heard the Lord. I spoke to the Lord, right? And those are wonderful times. And it might not be every day, but is it happening for us? Because... I want to assure you that there's a growing throng of people who are having real spiritual experiences in deceptive bondage. They're not fake. These people aren't stupid. They're desperate because they know that what they've been told is wrong. They know that the world is not just these material boxes that we've set up. Complete, they, their souls are aware of that. So they're rejecting that because things are getting too hard for them to make it on you know, alcohol and Xanax. So they're reaching out for something else, and they're having real experiences. They're not good, but that doesn't make them not real. And we need to not be afraid of that. It's very easy when we hear that. We, I, we get a little bit, oh, that's creepy. I don't want any of that, right? But when God manifests his power, it's going to be unmistakable. Lives are going to be altered. It happens all the time. We don't need to be afraid. They're like, oh, well, they've, look, Lord, they've, they made a snake. I better stay over here. That's scary, right? No, the Lord's like, come on, throw the, throw the staff down. I gave it to you for a reason, right? The Lord is always preparing us to be in these encounters, but we have to be, number one, meeting with him personally so that you, don't, so that you know that you've spoken to God recently. Let's just put it that way. Maybe it hasn't even been today, but can you think back to the last time? That, like, It's okay, because I've checked in with the Lord. I know that he's there. I know that he's empowered me. I'm ready to have this conversation with somebody. We're weak, right? So that we're not always able to do that. But a pastor who always encouraged me used to say, look, you need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit because you leak. <laughs> right? It's just how it is. You're a weak person. You're not a spiritual, you know, you're not always spiritual. You have your flesh. So you're doing work sometimes that undoes that. So you've got to keep going back and checking in with the Lord. And the people respond. The people worship God. This is what the Lord is calling us to do. We're supposed to be little Elijahs wherever we go, bringing people face to face with the fire of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Lord fills us with the Holy Spirit, so that when people encounter us, they're not just encountering us. Yeah. If evangelism was just me going and talking to you about God, I don't want to do that, because I don't, I don't want to be talked at by a stranger about something I don't agree with. And I don't think it would be fun for anybody else either, and it certainly wouldn't be effective. Inside of us is everything that the world longs for and is willing to harm themselves to obtain. There are people who are crawling miles to get what you have that we sometimes, you know, that I forget to go meet with the Lord in the morning. But people are hurting themselves physically and spiritually to have these things, sacrificing incredible things to try and reach out and get something that I just have and take for granted. Right. We've got all the things they want, spiritual peace, knowing who God is, being aware of what is going to come up next in our life. All of that stuff. Love and family and community in the Lord that we've, we've just got all that. And that becomes really apparent when you meet those people because they, they always say, right, what is with you? <laughs> what is the matter with you? You're not upset. You're not unhappy. And you seem to kind of like your life is okay. What's going on, right? You have, we always have that question. I want to remind us. I want to remind myself of something when we, as we finish up that passage. And we're going to kind of transition into talking about what this means for us. We still live in the same spiritual world that Elijah lived in. There is no difference between our world and the world of the Old Testament. Actually, that's not true. There is a couple differences. The difference is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the unleashing of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in those who believe. So that's different, right? What Elijah was doing was very unique. Why? Because he was the only person probably in Israel at that time that the Holy Spirit was using that way. Remember, the Holy Spirit says it would fall on Samson, and then for once, Samson would get it right and do something really cool, right? And then the Holy Spirit would leave Samson, and he would mess up, and then it would, there would be a new judge, and that was the one person that was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not so today. Yeah. We've got lots of people in here that are able to do the same things that Elijah was able to do. Now, right after the verse that you know I stopped reading for a reason, the next verse is that he goes and he kills a bunch of prophets, right? That's not how we interact with this right now. Right? Because the judges, the prophets, they, were, they had a civic role as well. They weren't the judge, jury, and executioner of God's law. We don't live in that civic world today. But we've made the mistake of thinking that because the legal system has changed, somehow the rest of the spiritual world has changed. It's not apparent from Scripture. That's not what the, and, and it's just like when people say, oh, well, you, know, you can't expect God to intervene miraculously anymore. I say, that's cool. Where's the chapter and verse? And people say the same thing about the spiritual world. Well, and, and I have said these things. I have struggled with this for many years. Well, you know, you, you expect to see that out there in those primitive places, which is really kind of a messed up thing to say when you think about it. In those other places of the world, you, but not in America. We're too nice. Why? Show me, show me the verse in Scripture that says that these things have stopped. Because it happens all through Acts. It's expected to happen all through the New Testament. Where was it supposed to stop? With America. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, maybe it's gone underground a little bit for a very brief period of historical time, but I don't think that that's continuing either. The Bible explains how our universe functions. It's not a story that's set like, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's really easy for us to get in that mindset, right? You know, you know something that's really helpful? This is a practical point. Go get yourself a parallel timeline of the Bible, which is going to show you, it'll say, hey, this is happening in Scripture, and at the same time, this is what's happening in ancient history. It'll blow your mind. David is doing this over here, and this is the same time when the the Greeks and the Trojan War is happening. And you're like, that happened at the same time, right? It helps you to tie it back to the real world. I always used to have this idea that the Old Testament happened, and then everything else happened. But that's not how it works. And it reminds you, hey, this is a real thing happening in a real place, describing a real universe that I also live in. And that's really important. In our state... In our towns, in our communities, we're surrounded by people who are in bondage to similar darkness. If you, it's very difficult to get polling. I don't like polling numbers anyway. It's very difficult to know exactly. But as of 2014, it was thought that there are more Americans who identify as practicing witches than there are members of mainline Presbyterianism, defined as the PCUSA. So they, they think there's about 1.5 million witches, meaning people who in some form practice consider themselves a practitioner of witchcraft. And those numbers have exploded since 2020, by the way. That's way old. 2020 was a, a watershed for all of this stuff. So let's talk about it for just a minute. Who are some of the Baals that we see today in our culture, in, in our world? I've got three different things that I us to talk about. And you notice we're going to talk about them briefly. And I have no pictures for a reason. Three places, dark places that the enemy is trying to use to deceive people and hurt people today. Number one is witchcraft. You see a lot of words used for this, Wicca or Wiccan, uh, Satanism of various kinds. Psychedelics fall under this. Yes, they do. Um, And so these are areas where it's, it's typically people who they've seen some kind of destruction of control in their life. They've lost control in some way. This is why this stuff all spiked in the 2020s, by the way, is lockdown happened. There was a virus going on. There was all these reminders of people's mortality, and they felt very out of control. And so all this anxiety drives them to seek peace and control in the spiritual world. And they get promised power and love and and all these things, and then they're mocked and disturbed and and cruelly hurt uh, by this. The center, they think like the mecca of all this in the United States is Asheville, North Carolina, by the way, which is kind of funny. Um, so it's not like, don't think, oh yeah, in San Francisco, no, like here, like if you go to books a million, there's as much shelf space devoted to tarot and, and stuff like that as there is to Bibles. And that's because people are hurt and lost and anxious and afraid. And this stuff promises them some way of connecting with a spiritual world that they know exists. And of course it's dangerous to them and and hurtful and we need to be ready to have conversations with them about it. Number two is spiritualism. And this is like a super vague thing. It's almost like the 1800s kind of coming back again. It's things like vitalism, esoteric conspiracy theories, all the miscellaneous New Age stuff. Vitalism, by the way, is, it's kind of like an Internet trend of people who recognize that living as a modern person is really bad for you. And so they're realizing that they need to be spiritual in some way, but they've rejected you know, normal stuff. So they want to borrow a lot from Christian ideas, Christian thought, Christian tradition, or Western ideas and thought and tradition, but without, you know, actually submitting themselves to Jesus Christ. Um, so vitalism, I would, I would put like a lot of these vaguely moral thinkers, Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, things like that, in that vitalist thing. They're all about like work hard, do some workouts, sun and steel, is a phrase you'll hear, which appeals a lot of times to young men. Because they know that, you know, this cannot be it, dude. I'm not supposed to wake up, go sit at a cubicle, come back, play video games, and go to sleep. There must be something more than that. But unfortunately, this kind of, it appeals to their flesh quite a bit. So this is an explosion of miscellaneous kind of mystical deceptions that trap people in confusion. Um, You hear the phrase, falling down the rabbit hole. Online, a lot, which comes from uh, like Alice in Wonderland, you know. And, and that's describing a process that happens where you get exposed to this new information that you didn't know about. And you just go deeper and deeper and deeper until you're kind of trapped and caught. And a lot of these people either become bitterly disillusioned when they realize that there's nothing down there at the bottom of the rabbit hole and they get angry, or they gradually cut themselves off from other people as they become more and more obsessed. The last one is paganism. Uh, and this is kind of what it sounds like. Words that you might see are heathenry, uh, Norse paganism, Asatru is another name for that, uh, or just I just put old gods here. Just a, any, anybody who's trying to go back and dig up ancient ways that people worshipped and, and, and resurrect them in some way. There are um, young people in Arlington Cemetery who will be buried beneath heathen symbols, believing that they entered Valhalla when they died in battle. The, the Mjolnir, the, the Thor's hammer, is, a, is now an accepted military burial symbol that they'll put over your gravestone, just like a, a cross or a Star of David. Because there's enough young men, typically young men, in the service who are afraid, don't know what's going to happen after they die. And this appeals to them because Thor promises you that you're going to be strong. This used to happen in the early church, too, is they they wanted to unite Thor with Jesus. So they became Arian Christians who believed that Jesus was like a superhero. He wasn't really God. He was just like super, super cool. And they just kind of pasted Jesus over Thor and said, ah, close enough. We like that. It all just comes back around. And so there's a lot of young people who seek out these things because it promises them typically very young guys who feel very not powerful. And it promises them power. It promises them protection and all these things. Family is a word that gets used a lot. This is also something that's present in the prisons, by the way, when you select why you're going in. As a religious volunteer, they'll say, oh, well, what religion? And I expected there to be like five old mainline denominations. And they said, heathenry, Norse mysticism, asatru, uh, you know, which are all basically forms of white supremacy at the end of the day, they usually go right together. Um, you know, 17 different forms of Muslim Brotherhood stuff and all these different options, which are going in and out of the prisons and offering these guys who ultimately feel disempowered and unable to control their lives, some form of spiritual connection and power. These last ones, the pagan type stuff is tends to be the most violently anti-Christian. They tend to be consciously trying to select something that is opposed to the gospel especially the Norse stuff, because they feel that we came in and won, which we did. <laughs> and uh, so they want to go back. They, they feel that it's, it can go with alongside anti-colonial type stuff. Well, you've colonized our people, and so we're throwing off Christianity. We're going back to our gods. Um, and they're usually the most consciously spiritual. In all of these categories, there's plenty of people who are doing what us young kids would call LARPing, meaning they're just playing around. They don't know what they're doing has real effects, and they're just, it's just a fad or a phase for them or something that they're doing for fun. So that can be in all these things, right? Everybody that you see that posts on their Instagram that they're a witch, it doesn't mean anything. For a lot of people, it's just a, it's a personality trait, honestly, like just a thing that they do alongside the other things they do. But especially in the paganism stuff, these people tend to believe, and they're seeking usually what they haven't found elsewhere. I was doing some reading that says that, especially for a lot of these young men, that they tend to be people who've come in and out of the church and felt that they found nothing. And so now they're going somewhere else. Now, I heard all y'all get all quiet and worried and concerned. Me too, right? Of course. It's just our reaction. This is new for us, and it can feel a little crazy and a little new. So now what? We're going to encounter obvious manifestations of the spiritual reality in the world. That's good for us, by the way. It's really dangerous for Christians to start believing that God isn't going to show up and that the enemy is kind of a fairy tale. That's the worst. There couldn't be anything, in my opinion, there couldn't be anything worse that could happen to the church than living through a period like that. I'd rather have all this than that. Trust me, you would too. Because now it reminds us constantly that we need to be close to the Lord. So here are some dangerous attitudes. Here's some things we shouldn't do. Number one, we shouldn't have a dismissive attitude. Oh, that stuff is all fake and stupid anyway. Christian, that is an enlightenment philosophy. It's not a gospel philosophy. The gospel doesn't teach us that all other spiritual practices are fake. It teaches them that they're all bad and all wrong. It doesn't teach us that they're all fake. Where is our love and our pity and our humility for these people? You know, that, it used to be that you'd hear from all these new atheists, well, you're, you're, you Christians, you just believe that all gods are fake except one. And we'd all say, oh, yeah, they're right. No, they're not right. I don't believe all the other gods are fake. I just believe there's one God who answers by fire. I don't have to believe that all other gods are fake. Now, now what am I saying? I don't think Zeus is real, right? Obviously. I don't, that, that's not what I mean. I don't believe, though, that there's only one spirit, because the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me that Satan is real. The Bible tells me that demons are real. So I don't have to believe this weird thing that like, yeah, no, I'm the only person who sees anything spiritual. You don't have to be a debunker of anything that someone says they've seen spiritually. If someone comes to you and says, well, I saw this and that, you can say, oh, okay. That doesn't sound good, though. You can have a conversation with them. You don't have to spend your time playing at being a materialist with them to convince them that the only real spiritual thing is the Lord, because that's not what the Bible does for us. So we don't want to be dismissive. We don't want, and and dismissive can come out in another way. It can say, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter if I do this kind of, sort of, witchcrafty sort of thing. That doesn't matter. It's all fake. It's just a game. Well, I'm not being legalistic about things, but I will tell you, I've spoken to a couple pastors who have seen some crazy stuff because they've gone to some crazy places where it's not more common, but it's more obvious, and they told me, I'll tell you what you don't do with demons is you don't talk to them. I said, doesn't matter whether you know that's what's happening or not. You don't talk to demons. It's just not for you, Christian. And it kind of should go without saying, but I'll just go ahead and say it anyway. There should be no place in our houses for any of this stuff. Christian, don't, don't mess with this. Don't bring a, a Ouija board or a tarot deck or these tools. Especially what I see now, just call out what I see now, is tools for divination. Which means the Bible describes these things. They're things, ways of foretelling or understanding the future. Don't don't bring that stuff into your house. Not because it's magic, not because it's going to hurt you necessarily. But why? Why do you need that? The Lord tells you what's going to happen in the future. What are you messing with this stuff for, right? And you're a believer. You're spirit-filled. So the enemy doesn't get to snatch you up, right, and hurt you by accident. But don't do anything on purpose that's playing around with that stuff. You don't, don't be so dismissive to imagine that the spiritual world isn't real. Now, number two, this is the opposite thing, is we get fearful, we get distracted. Oh, don't do that, Satan's gonna possess you. Right? It's like that demon behind every tree, I call it idea, right? Oh, don't don't go there, bad, bad things will happen to you. That's not how that's not how the enemy works, and that's not how your God works, right? You need to quit believing the enemy's press. He's, he's, he would really love you to think that he has the ability, as a Christian, to snatch you up and mess with you do all these things. He certainly does not. Don't, and stop watching movies. Good grief. <laughs> you can't be harmed. Now, you can be messed with. You can have a bad night. I've had a couple of those, right? But he's, he cannot hurt you. So don't be, don't be telling other people, oh, don't go over there to talk to them. They'll get you. No, they won't. And also, by the way, when you go over there and talk to them, they're super sad and shy and lonely. They would love to talk to you. They are not scary. Yeah. Like, people who seek this stuff out are not scary people. Yeah. If you're a scary person, why would you feel like you needed to go commune with some weird thing that would make you powerful? These are not scary people. They would love to talk to you about the thing they're into. Trust me, they're super lonely and no one else in their life wants to talk to them about it. So they would love to talk to you about what they're into. Go talk to them. They can't hurt you. Right? And then also don't do the legalism thing. Oh, well, you shouldn't do that or listen to that or play that game or do that thing. It's a door to hell. No, guys, there's a real door to hell. Don't Don't cry wolf. Because what you do is you start to educate people that, you know, that's stupid and fake and they don't know what they're talking about. And pretty soon they're not willing to listen to any rebuke, even when you're talking about something that is clearly biblically forbidden for Christians. Let's save the forbidding for things that Jesus forbids, right? There's plenty of real stuff we need to be aware of. We don't need, you know, Jesus doesn't have favorite music, guys. Or I'm sorry, Satan doesn't have favorite music. It's okay. There might be styles of music that you don't like, but it's not, as a Christian, he's not able to grab hold of you using sound, right? There are ways that the enemy works, but that's not one that we see in the Bible. So it's all right, let's not cry wolf. Last one that we need to be aware of is fascinated. I need to do a lot of research about this so I can always have an answer. You know, I went back and I read that passage and it says always have an answer for the hope that lies in you. It doesn't say that you've got to go out and research, always have an answer for their stuff. It says you just need to know about what you know right? That's very important if you have a desire or a passion for these people because that can be co-opted sometimes by the enemy to get you into places you shouldn't be. If you have a need for real information, use trusted secondary sources. That's what I did. I don't don't go digging up this stuff on the internet. I stay away from that. I'm not going to go reading their stuff. Why would I do that? There's, uh, I would recommend allthingsallpeople.org. allthingsallpeople.org. Awesome people. The guy speaks sometimes at Calvert Chapels. and He goes and does this research, talks to people, and then he explains it to you, not in a way of, to make fun of people, but in a way to help you be prepared to talk to them about Jesus. It's a super, super helpful resource. He did a a whole podcast about Wiccan stuff and they went into these places in Asheville and we're having discussions with people explaining to you things that you need to know. It's very, very helpful and it doesn't fill you up with a lot of scary ideas. It just helps you to have compassion on these people to pray for them and to talk to them. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, this is not just a shrug-off line that we use when all of our physical hopes are run out. We're going to work really, really hard, and then at the end, when it looks like we're not doing good, well, remember, the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal. We tried. (laughs) That's not what this is. This is the only place where you are powerful. The only one. Christians are not good at physical warfare. We've tried that. It's... Some bad parts of history that we don't like talking about. That's not where we're supposed to be. In Christ, in the spiritual world, personal prayer, serving in the home, working behind the scenes, are just as important to the mission as outward leadership and and clear things that make sense to us in the physical, having physical impact. We're supposed to be fighting where we're overwhelmingly strong. And that's in the spiritual. When we pray, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we do the things the Lord tells us to do, that is where we are strong. So how are we going to do that? What, what are some easy applications for us? Number one, we need to come to terms with the real world that we live in. For some of us, this is a bigger leap than others. I have spent a lot of time in my life focusing on secularism as a thing that I've thought about, read about, discussed with people. It's been a big shift for me to understand. In some ways, I've had to confront bad doctrine I have about, you know what, wait a second. This stuff isn't not happening here. It's just I don't notice. I'm not spiritually perceptive enough to understand what the enemy is doing. So we need to be aware of that. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. I'm not going to read it, but it's a good verse for you to read to get you a little excited about what God has done to prepare you for this. The last verse says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. In Christ, we are not on the spiritual defensive. We've been given the initiative to raid the enemy with impunity, right? We are not holed up in our church hoping that maybe some of them decide to come in here. God has given you the Holy Spirit and said, go start some trouble. Go over there. Look, it looks crazy over there. You should probably go over there and talk to them, right? It's, there's, it's a difference in strategy that people use. It's just like military strategy. There's times where you stay, when, you're, when the enemy is overwhelmingly strong, you stay put if you're safe. When you are overwhelmingly strong, you patrol until you find somebody because you're ready to start a fight. Why not? You've got everything that you need. As a Christian, now not start a fight with people. You understand what I mean, right? But the enemy would love for you to think that he's overwhelmingly strong, so you had better stay put. And the Lord, who has done all the work of displaying these principalities' open shame, would love for you to say, I wonder if Jesus wants me to talk to that wicked person. I, I bet something cool would happen if I went over there and talked to them. Let's see what happens. That's the attitude that we want to have when we're around these people. We're not on the defensive. Number two, we need to cultivate our faith a little bit. What do I mean by cultivate our faith? Read 2 Corinthians 6, 15 through 16. You can read that one at home. We need to seek God and not be content with a form of worship that can't be proven powerful. What I mean by that is it's very easy for us to be afraid that God is not going to meet us And so to not ask him to meet us because we're concerned about what might happen if he doesn't show up. I've done this in prayer meetings. I know you've done this in prayer meetings before where I show up to the prayer meeting and I've I've got so much on my mind and on my heart that I'm like, Lord, just, you know, whatever you want to do tonight is fine. And I'm just kind of here and I'm not going to, you know, I'm so small. I'm not going to ask you for anything. And then there's been prayer meetings where I show up. and I'm like, Lord, I'm not leaving here until you talk to me about this thing. And, you know, when the Lord shows up, it's the second time. Because He wants me to ask. He wants me to come in faith, expecting that I will receive something from Him. And when I do, and I do receive something from Him, isn't, aren't those the times when I'm most fired up to say, you know what? God is real. I'm going to go talk to this person that I was scared to talk about. right?" And now I know that we have those, those times in our, in our lives where our faith is low, and it's hard for us to do these things. And that's why we need to make it a regular thing that we meet the Lord so that we can then ask the Lord to make us spiritually confrontational people. Not personally confrontational people, not argumentative people, right? Which is how I tend to do things. Spiritually confrontational people. I want to be the kind of person that if if someone who serves another God speaks to me, they at least are going to walk away knowing what I think and who I love and who I serve. I want to be an explicitly Christian person. What do I mean by explicitly? It's like, you know, they have the stickers on the albums. Hey, heads up. This has got some stuff in it, right? Just so you know, don't listen to this if you don't want to be exposed to what's in here. I want to be like that with Jesus. I don't want to be a person where, you know, I I spent a lot of time with him. I'm pretty sure that he thinks God's real. I want to be a person that when somebody walks away, they're like, oh, I don't know anything else about him, but I think he's connected to Jesus in some way. That's the kind of person I want to be, a person where it's inescapable that I love the Lord and that I love this person, and it's just going to come out of me, and I'm I'm sorry if you don't like that, but we're going to have that conversation, right? In a loving way, in an excited way, not in a way of chasing people down and being upset with them. Lastly, we need to be ready to wage the good warfare. We just read Numbers 14, so I'm not going to read it again. But in Numbers 14, there's that awesome passage where they're getting ready to go in the land, and the two spies are saying, "What are we waiting for? Like, these people are there for." It says they are bread for us, which is a really awesome. He's like, "We're just going to go in and eat them up." That's what they're there for. This is our land. We're not sitting here. You know, we're not sitting here like maybe the Lord. The Lord told us to go. We should go. The spies say. Now they don't listen, and so they get punished. We just finished this up in Numbers. This is why we can't afford to remove anything that's spiritually real or even a little bit weird. From the Bible. We can't do that. Why? Because these people were surveying a land that was filled with demonic giant people. And they said, well, looks like bread to me. Doesn't scare the Lord. So it's not going to scare me. And there were people who were scared by that, right? I would have been. They'd look at like, yeah, but did you notice the demon giant guys? Like, did you see that? Instead of responding to what they saw outwardly, they said, but the Lord told us that it's our land. The Lord told us we're supposed to go. So even if it looks scary to us, we're going to go and see what the Lord's going to do. This is the attitude that I'm praying that the Lord would cultivate for me and for my family. That instead of thinking defensively, instead of sitting here and saying, okay, how can I not die tomorrow (laughs) with Jesus? How can I protect myself so that nothing bad happens? I start thinking, how much trouble could I get in? If I went over there and we talked to those people, how many people could get saved if we just showed up there and talked to them, right? That's the attitude that I want to have. And that attitude can only come when I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his spirit. Not when I'm strong in myself, right? Because I've done one of those before or two or ten where I say, how many people could I argue with masterfully for the cause of Christ? And then I go and embarrass myself and the Lord's not glorified. So it can't be in my flesh. But there's also a fleshly response to these things, which is fear. And that's also not of the Lord. To see these things come back, and I don't, I don't believe that that's going away. Just to be kind to us and encourage us, I don't think that this is going to be less prevalent. I think it's going to be more prevalent as people become more afraid. So to see these things happen and to respond with, well, I, you know, I guess they're just going to have to come in here first. I don't know that that's how the Lord wants us to respond. All that spiritual armor, right, that's all listed, it's not just for polishing, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's for us to go get some dents in it. So let's, I, this is a thing that I want us to pray about. Come to prayer tonight if this is something that the Lord's laying on your heart and we'll pray together about what would the, how would the Lord be sending us out spiritually, just like Elijah, to call some people to say, hey, let's talk about, let's talk about God. Let's talk about you know, who, is, who is powerful and who's able to show up in your life and let me tell you some stories about what God's done in my life.